0: Good afternoon and welcome to the Narrow Path radio broadcast. My name is Steve Gregg and we're live for an hour today as usual. Monday through Friday we do this. We've been doing it for 27 years and uh, all we do is open the phone lines and invite callers to, uh, or listeners, to call in. If you have questions you'd like to ask on the air about the Bible or the Christian faith, we'll talk about those. You might have some point of disagreement with the hosts, certainly a lot of people do, You're always welcome to call and talk about that as well. The number to call is 844-484-5737. That's 844-484-5737. And uh, all week I'm announcing that uh, starting next week, next Thursday, the 8th of February, and on for uh, five days after that, I'll be in Arizona speaking in a variety of places, a different town every night. On Thursday the 8th, I'll be in Peoria. Friday the 9th, I'll be in Scottsdale. Saturday the 10th, I'll be in Gilbert. Sunday the 11th, in Goodyear. And Monday the 12th, in Maricopa. And if you live in any of those areas, you may be interested. Now, I've heard that a few of these meetings, maybe one or two, are already full uh, with people who've called uh, in advance. But, uh, I think there's still room at most of them. If you're interested, you can go to our website, thenarrowpath.com, thenarrowpath.com, and look under, uh, announcements, and you'll see there the locations and the contact information if you want to contact. Most of these, I think, are in homes. Uh, I don't know that, maybe, maybe all of them are, but we're, we're, we often are meeting in people's homes, and that's why there are sometimes limits to how many can come, but uh, see if uh, see if the one in your area is full. And if not, you know it's not really very far to drive from one end of uh, the Phoenix area to the other. So uh, check it out at thenarrowpath.com under announcements. All right, we're going to go to the phones and talk to Kathy in New Hampshire.
1: Kathy, welcome to the Narrow Path. Thanks for calling, Steve. Hi, first time caller. I was calling about or following up on a, on a discussion you had with a lady on Monday. She was concerned about, uh, walking with the Lord and, and, and perhaps losing, uh, how, how one would lose their salvation. I loved your response to that. Um, but I wanted to add for her and for anybody else that Malachi 316 gave me a, an enormous amount of, uh, of, of strength and hope. When I wondered the same thing, um, then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. I fear the Lord and I think about him all the time, and I talk about him at every turn, any chance I can. That was everything to me. So, there's a book of remembrance, and and I wanted to follow up with that. I thank you very much for the opportunity to share.
0: Okay, Kathy. Thank you very much for calling. God bless you. Um, all right. Uh, well, let's talk next to uh, Jessica from Seattle, Washington. Hi, Jessica. Welcome.
2: Hi, Steve. It's been a while since I've called in, and I have a question, I'm in okay. an apologetics class at my church, Calvary Chapel, in uh, near Seattle. And we are meeting tonight. And I tried to get a, <laughs> in touch with you yesterday because we're going to discuss a certain topic again. And it's uh, my view is not popular amongst the group, um, but I'm just wanting your take on this. Um, okay. So I'm wondering um, do you think that the apostles recognized Jesus as God, Yahweh, before the resurrection?
0: I don't think they did. I don't think they knew that he was Yahweh in the flesh and, uh, until after mm-hmm. that point. And the reason mm-hmm. the reason I say that is because they said things during his lifetime, and even in the upper room, which was just before his death, uh, that makes me think that they, they didn't know. You know, when he stilled the storm. Their question was, what kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Now, if you, you and I believe Jesus is God in the flesh, uh, if, he's, if we were in a boat with him and he made the wind and waves sense, they would say, well, of course, God can do that. You know? <laughs> right. But, but mm-hmm. they were, ama- not only were they amazed that he did it, but they said, what kind of man is this? Well, we would answer, well, he's, the kind of man he is, is God in the flesh. But I don't, mm-hmm. and I think if they had that idea already, they wouldn't have wondered that. I think they were growing in their understanding. I think I think when they began to follow Jesus, uh, they probably saw him. They they saw him at least as a prophet. And I think mm-hmm. some of them from the beginning assumed he was the Messiah, because we read in mm-hmm. John chapter one that when Andrew went to get Simon Peter, and Peter hadn't even met, met Jesus yet, Andrew said, "We've we've found the Messiah," you know, mm-hmm. Jesus. And mm-hmm. so. Uh, a lot of them, uh, it may be that all of them immediately thought he was the Messiah. Later on, of course, when Peter answered, You are the, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, at Caesarea Phelpi, uh, he was apparently speaking for all of them. But to say he was the Messiah was not the same thing as saying, You are God in the flesh. Even though you yeah, and I, exactly. we, yeah, we we can look back at Isaiah 9-6, uh, or even maybe Isaiah 7:14, and some other places, Where the Messiah, we we see those as messianic prophecies, and we see it as referring to him as the mighty God, uh, or God with us, or something like that. And in retrospect, we recognize, okay, so the Messiah in these passages is said to be God with us, uh, God in the flesh. But not all the Jews had that idea about the Messiah. They weren't, uh, there was very much disagreement among Jews about what the Messiah would be like, and it was not at all a given that to say Jesus is the Messiah would, would automatically translate into he's God in the mind of a Jewish right. person. Now, uh, the mm-hmm. thing that I think is most indicative is in John 14, where Philip said to him, uh, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us in John fourteen eight, And Jesus said mm-hmm. in verse 9, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? Mm. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, "Show us the Father"? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, he's apparently Philip didn't. I mean, Jesus, Jesus' rhetorical question: I've been this long with you, and you don't know me yet. Is mm-hmm. is is not really looking for an answer; it's an observation. It's more of an observation. You you still don't know who I am, do you? And. Uh, right. So that was just, before, uh, he died, late, he he was arrested and taken from him later that night and died the next morning or afternoon. So uh, mm-hmm. this is right after, you know, this is almost the last, well, this is the last conversation he had with them before his resurrection. And therefore, mm-hmm. it would seem to me that we have evidence that they did not have a grasp on the concept mm-hmm. of the incarnation of God in the flesh that we have until after that. But it's not too surprising either, because in chapter 16 of John, which was in the same conversation, and verse 12, mm-hmm. Jesus said to them, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, mm-hmm. when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. So, He's saying, there's plenty of stuff I'd like to tell you, and the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will guide you into these truths. But you, you can't handle it right now. I'm not going to <laughs> burden you with it right now. And certainly, mm-hmm. I would think the idea that Jesus was Yahweh in the flesh would be one of the things that the disciples would have had a very difficult time handling. Um, mm-hmm. you know, So I, I suspect that his deity, as we call it, was probably mm-hmm. not fully grasped by them. Before his resurrection, and I'm not sure it was immediately afterward. Although Thomas yeah, sure, did, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Thomas did bow down before him after his from the and said, "My Lord and my God," which sounds like you know he's he's recognizing Jesus as God. But their whole theology of God having taken on human form, uh, I think, was something mm-hmm. that would have to be uh, developed after the Holy Spirit came and was leading them, guiding them into all truth. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
2: That's my view, too, and it's not popular. I, people are very defensive and reactive, unfortunately. No, no, I, I um, wonder
0: why that would be. I, I, it doesn't seem sensible for them to, because, I mean, to say mm-hmm. the disciples didn't know it doesn't mean it wasn't mm-hmm. true. Exactly. You know, if, if, exactly. They think, you know if, if they think you're saying, well, Jesus wasn't really God until he rose from the dead, well, that's not what you're saying. You're just saying that the no. disciples were a little bit clueless. And you can't blame them. They were Jews, Mm -hmm. and they'd been raised Jewish, and the Jews don't believe in a trinity, and they don't believe Mm -hmm. in God becoming a man. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. in other words, they had Jewish theology, and then, of course, they had to... Well, Jesus continually says, are you still without understanding? Are you you so dull? You know, how long must I bear with you people? I mean, Jesus is continually telling the disciples uh, that it's difficult for him to bear with their slow learning. So it's not as if <laughs> not as if we need to say, "Oh, the disciples understood that right away," or else somehow we're uh, diminishing the, the the disciples or the apostles. Uh, exactly. their, their own their own writings about themselves diminish them. hmm
2: Right, and even after, like you said, even after the resurrection, I don't know if they fully recognized He was God, the, the Son of God, the Messiah. Yes, but Yahweh, I don't know if they ever grasped that. Uh, It seems uh, like John did 60, 70 years later.
0: Mm -hmm. um, Well, I think Paul did, too. Yeah, I think Paul did, too, and I'm pretty sure that probably all the apostles reached uh, some conclusion about that. But that doesn't mean that they had fully, even in their lifetime, formulated the doctrine of the Trinity as as it was formulated later on. You know, I mean, it's not that they denied it. It's that Mm -hmm. they may not have thought it through, but they did speak Mm -hmm. in such ways that you know, some kind of a doctrine of Trinity could be formulated from from what the Holy Spirit was showing them. But I don't know if they were really uh, systematic theologians like, you know, later <laughs> later Christians were, you know.
2: right? And, I mean, that just then led us down a rabbit hole to do we need to believe that in the Trinity to be saved because the Bible says put your faith in Jesus Christ. So do we
0: need to believe,
2: you know, that...
0: Well, we the, the Bible does equal, not. Yeah. when the but, Bible tells but, us when the Bible tells us what someone has to believe to be saved, it's a rather right. short list. It's rather short list. <laughs> Paul said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord,
3: exactly. that means mas-
0: master, and believe mm-hmm. in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be mm-hmm. saved. Uh, in right. First John, it says, whoever confesses that Jesus is mm-hmm. the Son of God is born mm-hmm. of God. And uh right. and then of course anyone who denies that Jesus is the Messiah is Antichrist. Mm-hmm. So I mean those are basically the things. You you have to believe he's the Son of God, you have to believe mm-hmm. he's the Lord, you have to believe he's the right. Messiah, and that he rose from the dead. Mm-hmm. Now those are the things right. that the Bible says you have to believe. To believe to right. say and you must believe he's the second person out of three in a Godhead. Well, first of all, Jesus never taught anyone <laughs> that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying it wasn't true. I'm just saying we don't have any record of Jesus ever teaching it. We don't really have any record of the apostles teaching it. What they did do is make affirmations which, which spring from a certain view of the subject that they must have had. And, uh, and from the things they said, we cannot escape the possibility of, of coming to some kind of a Trinitarian uh, thought. Right. It, doesn't, it doesn't have to resemble the exact wording of the trinity doctrine as as the councils hundreds of years you know formulated but it does mean that there's a, a sense in which they believed god was one and they believed mm-hmm. that in another sense god was three and jesus was god exactly. uh, in the flesh so i mean
4: exactly I'm,
0: but but even the Bible doesn't tell us. Even even the the apostles themselves don't tell us that you have to believe that specific doctrine to be saved.
2: Well, I the very believe... thing is a tenet of Christianity, the, the Trinity. So I well, they, agree. Well, sh- they should be informed.
0: Um, they should be informed. It was not mm-hmm. a universally recognized mm-hmm. tenet of Christianity in the first four centuries, because mm-hmm. e- even after the Council of Nicaea in uh, in 325 A.D., which you know basically. Uh, people reached a, uh, an agreement that Jesus was God in the flesh and not something less than God in the flesh, uh, there were still mm-hmm. lots of churches. Most of the churches of Germany were still Aryans. They still were not Trinitarian for about 100 years okay. after that. But now to say, well, they, they can't go to heaven because they weren't Trinitarian. Well, what evidence is there of that? Uh, what evidence exactly. is there that, that if you don't fully understand the Trinity or accept it the way somebody describes it, and by the way, it's mm-hmm. not described in Scripture, so it's not like you're rejecting Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way somebody understands it from Scripture, if you have a different understanding from Scripture, where does it say mm-hmm. that you can't be saved? Now, I, I would yeah. say this. I believe everyone should believe in the Trinity. I believe that, mm-hmm. you know, w- when I teach theology, I teach the Trinity. I try to convince right. people that the Trinity is true, because it is, mm-hmm. I believe. But, but the point mm-hmm. is, it's, it's one thing to say this is the correct way of seeing things. It's another thing mm-hmm. to say anyone who's who sees it incorrectly is going to hell. That, that simply is mm-hmm. not what the Bible teaches anywhere.
2: Right. Yeah, I agree, and I, I believe in the Trinity as well. But for them to take such a harsh stance is makes me want to push back. So
0: I'm afraid. I'm afraid <laughs> <you> people <laughs> who take yeah <laughs> uh, taking a stand like they're taking I think is a result of not thinking very critically or or, or thinking very hard mm-hmm. about the subject. And also, I mm-hmm. think. I think they're they're afraid. They're afraid that if they yeah, move at all exactly. uh, an inch, an inch from Trinitarian mm-hmm. uh, dogmatism, that somehow yeah. they'll be a, they're now a Jehovah's Witness, you know, and, or something.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? And I trust me, I'm getting those looks in class, and I'm like I'm sure. having to be like, "Hey, I believe in the Trinity. I'm just we're just asking questions here. We need uh, here to you be, you. you know, logical thinkers and give an well, explanation be... for our beliefs."
0: Yeah, you may not mm-hmm. be able to convince them of anything, but n- uh, nor yeah. do you necessarily have to. I mean, they're right. not the ones. They're not the ones who, on the judgment day, is going to decide who's who's uh, you know, who's one of God's and who's mm-hmm. not. I mean, it, mm-hmm. they may be surprised. You, I've heard all my life. You know, we're going to be surprised who we see in heaven and who we don't see there. Right. So mm-hmm. I think they may be yeah. surprised. They may be surprised mm-hmm. to see some people in heaven that they thought shouldn't be there because of the Trinity controversy. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: Okay, well, that makes me feel better about my way of, you know, I, it's not about being right. I just want the truth, and I'm glad that you see it in a similar way. So.
0: All right, Jessica, i got to take it. another call.
2: Okay, thank you so much.
0: Great talking bye.
2: to you. Bye. You too, bye bye
0: bye-bye. Viru from St. Paul, Minnesota, welcome to The Narrow Path.
5: Hey, Steve. Thank you so much for taking my call. Sure. Uh, so I was, you know, Born and brought up in India and I came to know the Lord at uh, 19 years of age from Hinduism uh-huh. so uh, all my life until now God has been faithful I'm reading the scripture so most of the time uh, the main teaching that I received was about Christian character and fruit of the spirit and then witnessing to people who don't know the Lord um, mm-hmm. And then most of the times I heard only dispensationalism that is taught uh, more, more in India. And right. recently, uh, I am looking at scripture. Uh, I completed my uh, Master of Arts recently in seminary. And uh, I'm digging a little deeper into the subject. So I, I started uh, listening to a broadcast, and I'm going through your some of your articles. Uh, and I do agree that in the New Testament, I don't need any specific fulfilled or yet to fulfill prophecies for Israel. But uh, right. um, but when I read Romans 9 to 11, uh, what I was thinking until now is that, you know, church, uh, church of Christ is like, it's equal for everybody, no Jew, no Gentile, no male, no female. It's mm-hmm. equal for everybody. Uh, but uh, God's plan is that God, uh, in his plan, he... Purposefully blinded the Jewish people for some time, uh, and then in the end times he's going to open their eyes. Uh, I don't believe that he's going to save everybody, but whoever comes in faith, he will save them. So, what is your understanding on, uh, on that?
3: How do you yeah, take
0: those? I'll, I'll be glad to answer that question. Uh, let me first say this that because dispensationalism is so popular in India, I have some Christian friends in India who wrote to me, and they had uh, transcribed uh, some podcasts from somebody who was teaching the dispensational view about Israel and and the unfulfilled promises of Israel to be fulfilled in the end times. They sent me these, and they asked if I would answer them point by point. I answered, right. I, think, I think it was about 180 arguments that were made by, from a dispensational point of view. I answered them. Uh, exegetically, and uh, it's a document that's about 280 pages, and you can download it free uh, from the website uh, Matthew713.com. Have you ever been there?
5: I am going through that document, actually. I started yesterday.
0: I went through 20 pages. Okay, so you have the document. Good. Okay, excellent, because that yes.
5: will answer all
0: questions, but yeah, let me tell I, I, There's also a section in there. I have many pages talking about Romans 9 through 11, but I'll, I'll go over it real quickly here for you. Uh, Many people, dispensationalists, believe that in Romans 11, Paul is saying that Paul that God temporarily blinded the Jewish nation as a whole, and that mm-hmm. at the end of time, once the Gentiles have come in, God will unblind the the Jewish nation, and then they'll be saved. And they base most of that on uh, Romans 11:25 and 26, as you probably know. Yep where Paul said, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion that hardening, in part, has happened to Israel, or, or some translations say blindness, in part, has happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, and so all Israel will be saved. Now it says uh, partial blindness or partial hardness of heart uh, has occurred, happened, to Israel, Mm -hmm. until Mm -hmm. the fullness of the Gentiles come in, and so all Israel will be saved. So they they see this as saying, a temporary blindness or hardness has happened to Israel until the Gentiles come in, and then Israel, meaning the same ones that were blinded, will come in. Mm -hmm. That's how they understand it. But Paul doesn't give uh, that. Uh, He doesn't say then. He said thus, so, in this way, all Israel will be saved. And in what way? By part of the Jews who were not hardened or blinded coming in and a great number of Gentiles coming in. In this way, all the true Israel, that is the believing Jews and the believing Gentiles will come in. He doesn't say that those who are hardened or blinded are only temporary hardened or blinded. Because after all, he speaks in the past tense. He says Mm -hmm. hardening or blindness in part has happened. So in the first century when Paul's writing this, he's describing something that has happened to the Jewish people. He's, uh, they've been partially blinded or, uh, or hardened. Now, this is not the whole nation. Paul makes it very clear in Romans uh, 11, in the opening verses, he says, "I'm a Jew. I'm not blinded. I'm you know." And he, he then points out that in Elijah's day, Elijah thought he was the only unblinded one, but then God said, "No, I have seven thousand who have not bowed the knee to be. Else. So then, Paul says in Romans 11:5, "Even so, at this present time, he's not talking about the future." At the present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. By that he means mm-hmm. there's always been and there is now. As there was in Elijah's day, there are Jews who, have, who are not blind. There are Jews who are believers. They've not bowed the knee to Baal. You know, God has not blinded the whole nation of Israel. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a remnant of them, and, and it could be numbered in the tens or hundreds of thousands, because Paul is talking about Christian Jews here, uh, who, like himself, are the remnant who are not blinded. And then he says in verse 7, what then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were hardened or blinded. The same word that's used in verse 25. So what he says, Israel as a whole has not received salvation, but the, the elect, the remnant, have. The rest of them were blinded. Now, he does not suggest that the ones that were blinded will ever be unblinded. He's talking about something that has happened in his day. There were Jews, unlike himself, who were blinded or hardened. Most of them died blinded or hardened. They were not ever unblinded or hardened. The majority of unbelieving Jews in Paul's day are dead, and the majority of them never became believers like Paul did. And therefore, he's not predicting that their hardness or blindness is temporary. It's partial. In verse twenty he says partial hardening. That doesn't mean temporary hardening. Partial. It means that part of the Jewish people are hardened or blinded, but not all of them. God has never blinded or hardened the whole nation and then will un- unblind or unharden the whole nation. He's not talking about the whole nation anywhere here. He's saying the nation of Israel consists of people who are saved, which is the remnant, like, like the remnant in Elijah's day. And Paul said, I'm one of those. He means, of course, the believing, the Christian Jews. They're the, they're the faithful remnant who have received the Messiah. And the rest of the nation, the other part, is blinded. And for the most part, most of them were, unfortunately, permanently blinded because they never they never came out of it. They lived and died in Paul's day and didn't, didn't come to Christ. Some of them did, but not many. So the point is that a partial hardening has happened just means that part of the nation of Israel is hardened or blinded. Not all of them. Never was a time when they all were. And there's no no. No claim that they ever all will be uh, saved. Now, in verse 26, where he says, thus all Israel will be saved. Thus means in this way. It doesn't mean afterward. It's not talking about some sequential thing. He's saying in verse 25, I just told you the way in which God's going to fulfill his promise to save all of Israel. Well, what way is that? Well, he says by ha- part of the Jews being hardened and part not. The part that's not are the true Israel of God. And then the Gentiles coming in the faith—they're also the Israel of God. So, the all Israel, the Jewish and Gentile part, will be saved in this way by God taking the believing part of the Jews and the believing part of the Gentiles, putting them together, breaking down the middle wall of partition, making in Himself one new man. This is the new Israel, and all of it will be saved, all of the true Israel. Now, in between the verses we read at the beginning of the chapter just a moment ago, and these chapter, these verses at the end. There is the long section in Romans eleven sixteen through twenty four, where he talks about the olive tree. Now the yeah. olive tree is a picture of Israel. It's a it's an image that Paul is borrowing from Jeremiah sixteen. Uh, I'm sorry, Jeremiah eleven sixteen, and he's saying that believing Jews have been broken off, but of course believing Jews have stayed on, and then believing Gentiles have been added on. The tree is Israel. And now what's on it? Believing Jews and believing Gentiles. What's not on it? Unbelieving Jews and unbelieving Gentiles. So the tree consists of believing Jews and Gentiles. That's the true Israel. And so he summarizes it in verse 25. Some of the Jews are hardened and Gentiles are coming in. But in this way, all the true olive tree, the Jewish and the Gentile branches, all of Israel will be saved. And those who are broken off are not part of Israel. Anyway, uh, I'd go into this more detail in the document you have. Unfortunately, I need to take a break, but I hope we, I hope we cover this. Thank you so
5: much, Steve. Really
0: okay, brother. Hope to hear from you again. You're listening to The Narrow Path. We're halfway through. We have another half hour coming up. The Narrow Path is listener-supported. You can find out how to help us at our website, thenarrowpath.com. I'll be right back.
5: Do you find that reading the Bible leaves you scratching your head with more new questions than you had before you read it? But don't know where to go for answers? You may be interested, then, in Steve Gregg's many online lectures, downloadable without charge from our website, thenarrowpath.com. There's no charge for anything at thenarrowpath.com. Visit us there and be amazed at all you have been missing.
0: Back to the Narrow Path radio broadcast. My name is Steve Greg and we're live for another half hour taking your calls. If you'd like to call with questions about the Bible or the Christian faith, the number to call is 844 484 5737. That's 844 484 5737. Our next caller today is Dan calling from California. Dan, welcome to the Narrow Path. Thanks for calling.
3: Mm-hmm. yes hello hi hello hi uh my question is uh adam and eve uh they're not in the uh chapter of faith and so were they saved uh me and a friend we had a discussion about that and so because it wasn't mentioned in uh hebrews chapter 11 chapter faith right. said that it wasn't saved uh me i looked at it like uh what the guy with the one talent they so told somebody said what's the nature of god to meet god is loving his kind so they said well he has the other side wrath right? and all that but uh i look at it like the guy with the one talent who said the master was mean just that and the other so i'll well, take the, my answer off the air do you have the gist of my come to my question
0: yes i do um and, uh, you know, actually the man with one talent, you remember, was thrown out into outer darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth. But I don't think that Adam and Eve necessarily have to be relegated to that category. Um, it, uh, the point you're making is that in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, it starts early in Genesis. and starts naming every one of significance in the Old Testament. But it starts with Abel, which was, of course, a generation after Adam and Eve. He was the second son of Adam and Eve uh, after Cain. And then, of course, Cain killed Abel. But, uh, but then he goes through and he starts mentioning like Enoch and Noah and just about, and Abraham. <coughs> me, working through the Book of Genesis and then through the Old Testament too, including David and later the prophets and all that. He even has the judges in there before David. So he's kind of summarizing the Old Testament and naming a bunch of heroes whose stories are recorded in the Old Testament. And he's saying, you know, what what commended them to God was their faith. Even the things they did, they did it by faith. So if you think that they were saved merely by their works, well, they did do good works. They did do works, but they weren't perfect. Samson's mentioned there he was far from perfect. Um, frankly, David and, and Abraham were far from perfect, but they were heroes of faith. Uh, when they did do good works, he says they did it because of their faith. By faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, you know, Enoch walked with God. By faith, Abel offered a more perfect sacrifice. By faith, they obeyed. Uh, so he's saying the thing that characterized saints in the Old Testament, as now in the New Testament, is their faith. And it what you're saying is that Adam and Eve are not mentioned there. Adam and Eve are, uh, you know, skipped over. And he starts with Abel, which is the next generation. So you're saying that some people think that uh, maybe that means that Adam and Eve were not saved. Uh, but in my opinion... We can't make that conclusion from it. We don't know what Adam and Eve's uh, condition was after the fall in terms of their faith. Um, we do know that Eve, for example, when her children were born, <coughs> gave God the credit. Uh, you know, when Seth was born, she said, God has appointed uh, another child to replace Abel, whom Cain slew. Uh, Uh, In fact, even when Cain was born, she said, God has given me a a man and so a child. So, you know, it's not like they were atheists. And it's also not like there would be a lot of um, reason for them to, you know, reject God. They knew God was real. They had been deceived by the devil about the consequences of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Christians are sometimes deceived, too. It doesn't mean that's the end of your life. And, and this happened at the very beginning of Adam and Eve's life. And they, Adam lived I mean excuse me, 930 years after that. He could very well have got his act together and, and served God that whole time. We don't know that he did. We don't know that he didn't. Um, we do know this, that when they sinned, God apparently killed a couple of animals, to get their skins and to cover up Adam and Eve's nakedness. And many Christians believe that the killing of those animals to cover their guilt was symbolic of God offering animal sacrifices, blood sacrifices to cover our guilt, uh, in a sense that these were the first animal sacrifices, the animals that were killed to donate their skins to cover the guilt of Adam and Eve. And, And therefore, it may well be that we're to understand that Adam and Eve were atoned sins were atoned for by these uh, by the sacrifice that God himself made. And we don't read of any other sins they committed after that. So not that they didn't. We just don't read about anything they did after that besides have babies. Now, that being so, uh, they might or might not have been saved. My suspicion is they probably were. I'm I'm just going to guess that. But I don't know that. But I, I will say I lean toward the suspicion that say partly because of the sacrifice God made for them and also because it seems like they were somewhat chastened by their sin and, uh, and no doubt had, they probably were believers after that but I, I don't know for sure the reason that the writer of Hebrews doesn't mention them at the beginning is for the very reason that I just mentioned we don't know and the writer of Hebrews didn't know either he, he had the same book of Genesis we have and he didn't have any more history about Adam Eve than we have And so since we don't know if Adam and Eve uh, ended up in faith or not, uh, neither did the writer of Hebrews. So he just, he he remained noncommittal about it. The writer of Hebrews didn't mention everyone in the Old Testament. He mentioned the people that we know something about their story and we know how they believed God. And they, uh, you know, and in most cases they were, you know, they showed that faith through obedience. Um, So, I mean, the writer is simply going through the stories we actually know about in the Old Testament, because the writer of Hebrews didn't have additional information that's not in our Bible, uh, he was using the same Bible we use. So I think he just left Adam and Eve out uh, and was non-committal about them because we, he, he and we don't have any real information about what state they were in when they died, and, and we don't. Frankly, they are not remembered for any good deed that they did, and the people or any good that they did. But that doesn't mean they didn't do any. There's awful lot of their life, several centuries of their life remains unrecorded, and they might well have served God. But we, without knowing that, the writer of Hebrews would not be in a position to list them as those that we know to have had faith and showed it in their lives. Uh, Naaman from New Hampshire, welcome to the Narrow Path. Thanks for calling.
3: Hi. Hi. Um. So I. uh I know you used to be a. Um... Calvinist or believe more towards a Calvinist way of thinking and um, I grew up in an apostolic Lutheran church and believed believed that we have free will but I've recently been introduced by some family members to this once saved always saved God chooses you you don't choose him once you know what, what do you have to say about that
0: Well, first of all, I never was really a Calvinist. I was raised in a Baptist church that had, no doubt, some Calvinist leanings. We weren't really taught about Calvinism or Arminianism there. Um, Our pastor really never taught systematically through the Bible or taught theology very well. He just kind of tried to teach inspirational sermons. So I grew up without really knowing uh, what our pastor may have believed about those doctrines. I learned about them just from hearing about them and talking to people who held them but I realized when I really got to know the Calvinist teachings, especially the five points, that our church really didn't believe them. Uh, probably the way many people misunderstand the five points, our church probably would have affirmed three of them, probably three points out of the five. But when I got you know older and researched more and talked to Calvinists more, I realized that uh, I didn't even hold even any of those points, because the three points I thought that I held to, I was misunderstanding what Calvinism actually says about them. I thought it was, for example, total depravity. I thought that, I thought that just meant universal sinfulness. Well, I, I believe in universal sin. I believe everyone sinned. Obviously, the Bible says that. And I figured that means I believe in total depravity. But then when I learned what the Calvinist actually says about total depravity, I realized, oh, no, I, <laughs> I would never affirm that. That's not the Bible. And uh, and the same thing with some of the other points. Now, uh, All I can say is that you have run into people who are at least uh, some points Calvinist. You you might have run into five-point Calvinists. Um, If you're not a five-point Calvinist, you're not really a Calvinist, because the five points of Calvinism hang together like links of a chain. They are logically inseparable from each other. If you accept the Calvinist doctrine of total depravity as they mean it, then you will be forced to believe in unconditional election, which is the second point. And if you believe in unconditional election, uh, that means that you believe that God saved certain people without respect to anything he saw in them, and, and, and he elected them, and no one except them can be saved. So that would mean you have the, uh, you, you'd go for the uh, limited atonement, which is the third point, because why would Jesus die for people that God had not chosen to save? He only died to save the people who God really wanted to save. And under Calvinism, he didn't want to save everyone. He only wanted to save the elect, which were only some people. Uh, and then once you've got that, you've got irresistible grace, the fourth point, which means that if you're really elect, God's sovereignty determines that you will be saved because God cannot be thwarted in his election. And therefore, he will irresistibly draw you. You won't be able to not be saved. You'll be it's like a tractor beam. You know, God will draw you in a way that you cannot resist. That's irresistible grace. And the last point is perseverance of the saints, which means that if you are one of the elect, you will necessarily not fall away. You will persevere in the faith without falling away, because if you fall away, then you'd be lost. And if you're elect, you can't be lost. So so if you're elect, you can't fall away. That's how they think about it. Once you've got one of those doctrines, you've got them all. And the problem, I think, comes from the first point, the total depravity. I think is uh, I think they, the way they understand that doctrine, that's their mistake. There certainly the scripture doesn't support it, but the uh, but it does support universal sinfulness. and That's a different thing. Everybody sins. Now, uh, now the people you're talking to, you said they believe in once saved, always saved. That's kind of a, I guess we could say a, a, it's related to the last of the five points of Calvinism, perseverance. Of the saints, the Calvinist says, uh, "If you're really elect, you will persevere and you will not fall away, because God will sovereignly hold you uh, in the in the realm of salvation up until you die, so that you won't be lost." Now, there are people who are not exactly Calvinists, but they still believe once saved, always saved, and this would be more like the church I was raised in. Uh, where we thought we were three-point Calvinists, this is our, this is one of the points we probably would have affirmed, uh, but we weren't understanding it correctly, because again, perseverance of the saints, the Calvinist doctrine, is that if you are elect, you will not fall away. But in our church, we got the distinct impression that once you're saved, even if you do fall away, you're still saved. That is, once you get saved, you can really go off the rails. You can live in sin. Uh, You can possibly even lose your faith and become an atheist. But if you accepted Jesus when you were a little kid, you're still going to heaven. In other words, it's a very different doctrine than the Calvinist doctrine, though some people who believe the second doctrine think they are Calvinists because they don't understand the Calvinistic doctrine. I'm not a Calvinist, so I don't believe either of those doctrines. I don't believe that those who are saved will always persevere. Uh, The Bible warns very much Christians to be careful to persevere not to fall away. I also don't believe that people who do fall away are still saved. Uh, the Bible, No Christian ever believed that until maybe, I don't know, the last couple centuries perhaps. But uh, that's, that's certainly not a biblical doctrine. If you fall away from Christ, there's not the slightest hope in Scripture that you're still saved. So
3: you're,
0: you're only saved while you abide in Christ. Jesus said, if you don't abide in me, you're cast forth as a branch and they're withered and gathered and burned. Uh, like the branches from a vine that don 't stay on the vine, so uh, and there 's more much more in the scripture to say the very same thing, uh, including paul 's statement in romans eleven twenty two about the branches on the olive tree. He said that if we remain on the olive tree we'll we 're fine, but if we don't we 'll be broken off, uh, just like the Jews who disbelieve that we Gentiles who believe uh, if we stop believing we 'll be broken off true, and we won 't be part of it anymore. So, I mean, this is very clearly taught in many places in Scripture. So I don't believe in the once saved, always saved, and I don't believe in perseverance of the saints. Of the two, though, I would think the perseverance of the saints is, uh, ha- ha- is closer to what the sentiments are of the Bible. But I don't believe the Bible teaches it. I believe what the Bible teaches is that you do have a choice in the matter, not only when you first make a decision to be saved or not, but every single day afterwards. God does not remove your human nature when he gives you the divine nature. And anyone who's been saved knows this because you have free will. That's why you sometimes sin. That's your choice. God didn't choose that for you. Um, If you find a Christian who doesn't ever sin because they've got, you know, well, we could say, well, then only God's will is done in their life. Then we'd really be uh, challenged in what I'm saying. But I have not yet met the man who doesn't sin. And, and you know, I don't. I don't think the Bible indicates we'll ever meet such a man except Jesus. So if I sin, that wasn't God sinning. That wasn't God choosing. That was me choosing. Which means that even as a Christian, I still have a free choice. And uh, you know, uh, if I choose to uh, reject Christ after I've been a Christian, that is a possibility. It's a very stupid, idiotic thing to do. But I might. I've been stupid before. Uh, never that stupid, thankfully. But. Uh, but nonetheless, that sometimes happens. Okay, uh, James from Kentucky, welcome to the
3: narrow path. Hey Steve, thanks for hey. taking my call. Uh-huh. I'm going to be there as fast as I can here, and this is more of a comment. You may want to develop it or not. You can move on to the next. But in John twenty twenty eight, the discourse between Jesus and Thomas after he had been raised from the dead, and it says that Thomas answered and said unto him my Lord and my God. If you'll notice after that, Jesus didn't rebuke him. he didn't say, no, I'm not God. God's up there. I'm down here or what have you. But, and in several other places, this was in connection with the lady who was calling, who was getting pushed back from those who rejected the deity of Christ. And I think this is the most fundamental place, in my opinion, that you'll find that it does tell us that Jesus is God.
0: Well, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think, you might have misunderstood her position because she believed Jesus is God, too. And so did the people she's talking to. Uh, what, was, what was the controversy between her and the others is whether or not the disciples knew that Jesus was God prior to his resurrection. So that's what we're trying to discover. Uh, both she and the people she's in dialogue with uh, agreed that Jesus is God. That was not the question. And, yes, I agree with you that Thomas's declaration... The fact that he called Jesus God and Jesus didn't rebuke him for blasphemy uh, is a strong suggestion that Jesus was willing to be regarded to be God and is God. Um, but the, the point she was wondering is, did people like Thomas, did the disciples know that Jesus was God before his resurrection? And this particular verse would not answer that because this was after his resurrection. This is when Thomas saw him raised from the dead and said, My Lord, I'm a God. So if he understood the deity of Christ at this point, after his resurrection, there's, a, there's, there's still a possibility that he did not, prior to the resurrection, know that. Hard to say. Hey, I appreciate yes, your sir. call. Thanks for, thanks for sharing with us. Uh, Bill from Surrey, British Columbia. Welcome to The Narrow Path.
3: Hey, how are you doing, Steve? All right, thanks. Hey, I had a question. I look for your show all the time there. I'm a Christian. Uh, I have a question. If I were to die today... And I believe in Jesus Christ, that, you know, he died for my sins and everything. If I was to die today, what happens with my body and my soul like that? Does my soul go to heaven, or do I stay buried until he comes back and then raised up when, you know? I'm a little confused about that.
0: Well, both. Both. Your soul goes to heaven and your body stays in the ground until it's raised from the dead. Uh, the Bible teaches both. Paul talked about us living in these bodies as, as a tent that we live in. Uh, we are not our bodies. We live in our bodies. And therefore, we who are not our bodies must be our souls or, or our non-material selves. Now, he said that when we're alive on the earth, we are at home in the body. When we die, he the words he used in Philippians chapter 1 is that he, we depart. Uh, that is, the body doesn't, of course. We When you go to a funeral, the person you're seeing there in the coffin has been dead for some days usually. Uh, they didn't go anywhere, but they're empty. That's an empty tent. That's an empty house. Uh, the person who lived in it is not there anymore. Now, Paul said in Second Corinthians 5 that we, as long as we're at home in the body, meaning alive here on earth in our bodies, we are uh, absent from the Lord. But he said we are eager to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now, there's apparently two conditions Paul felt we could be in. One's before we die, and one's after we die. Before we die, we are in our bodies and absent from the Lord. When we die, we are out of our bodies, away from it, absent from our bodies, and we are present with the Lord. Now, again, we refers to the non-us, our our non-material selves, which we might call our souls or our spirits, or, or both. But uh, the point is that there is a me who lives in this body, and the body is a vehicle that I live in. It's a house I live in for the time being. It will uh, be destroyed uh, when I die. It's going to be dissolved and uh, eaten by worms. And uh, by the time Jesus comes back, it may very well be that my body is dissolved entirely into simple elements and uh, doesn't have much form at all, except maybe some parts of my skeleton. Uh, so so my, my house is going to be destroyed. But not me. I I, I moved out. When we die, we are absent from the body. That means we're not in it anymore. And we are somewhere else. You can't be uh, absent from something if you don't exist. So you still exist, but you exist elsewhere. And he says where you exist is present with the Lord. So it's very important to note that Paul indicates that we are not our bodies. But though we leave our bodies at death, We are not done with them completely, because when Jesus comes back, he's going to restore them, going to resurrect them and glorify them, just like Jesus' body was glorified when he rose from the dead. And we're going to be raised from the dead, the Bible says. And so that's going to happen when Jesus comes back. So we will then, after we've been away from our bodies, when Jesus comes back and raises our bodies, we'll be in them again. We'll live in them again. And uh But they will be immortal bodies. They will not be the same condition that they are in now. So that's what the Bible teaches. Yes, we go to be in heaven with Jesus when we die, but we also will be physically raised from the dead uh, when Jesus comes back. Uh, Michael from Albany, Oregon. Hi, Michael.
3: Hello, Steve. Uh, I'm calling uh, just out of curiosity because I'm probably a numbskull, but did you tell me, is there a language that we know of for Adam and Eve? Like... We don't,
0: we don't know what, we don't know what language they spoke. Their names are, you know, their names as we have them are based on Hebrew. Uh, Eve comes from the Hava in Hebrew, which means living. And Adam comes from the Hebrew word for red, uh, like red soil. Uh So, in know, the names of Adam and Eve that we have in the Bible are in the Hebrew forms of those names based on Hebrew words. But that could be only because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Uh, you know, the same, uh, a man named John in America would be called Juan in Mexico. Same guy, but depending on which language you speak, you, you know, his name would seem different. Uh, the name Jesus uh, in Hebrew would be Yeshua. In Greek, it's Jesus. So it's in the Old Testament, it's Yeshua, in the New Testament, it's Jesus, and in English, it's Jesus. Uh, I mean, different. And in in Spanish, it's Jesus. So I mean, there's different languages. Uh, these these names are somewhat different. So we have Adam and Eve. Their names are preserved to us in a Hebrew form, uh, based on Hebrew words. But uh, that's Part, maybe entirely, because the the record of them is written in the Hebrew language. If it was written in Swahili, uh, their names might have been given a different form. So I'd say Hebrew is the form of the name, uh, you know, Adam and Eve, as we have it. Um, And And, we preserve it. it I would
3: like to go to one more question. And that was, you know, uh, Adam named all the animals and stuff like that and in, in the English language we come up with uh dog being backwards for God is that and you know sun and there's the sun that that gives us life out of the sky <clears throat> and the sun that gives us
0: no no that's those are peculiarities of the English language uh for example, God and dog are not the same words spelled in reverse in Hebrew um the word for sun in Hebrew is not. It doesn't sound like the word for the solar sun when you say it. It Those are just coincidences of the English language. It wouldn't work in probably any other language. It wouldn't work in any other language. And there are thousands of languages. So uh, it's, you know, that's, it's not, it's irrelevant, in other words. It's irrelevant because it only is an accident of the English language. I appreciate your call. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Barbara in Michigan, welcome to The Narrow Path.
4: Oh, hey, Steve. I have a comment and a question. um, Quickly. Because I know... Hello?
0: Quickly. We've only got two minutes.
4: Oh, okay, because I know people just like to be quick and say Jesus is God, but Jesus has a life cycle, and when he says that when you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus was an ambassador, and ambassadors can speak on behalf. Jesus never said he was his Father. But I'm going to jump right to my question, and this is a good one. If Jesus was God, Okay, Jesus was tempted of Satan. He I mean, I'm sorry, led into the into the wilderness to be tempted of Satan. We know God can't be tempted. But he and he was who would Jesus have been if he had a failed? If he had a succumbed to Satan, bowed down and worshipped him. Who would Jesus be? As well as in the Garden of Gethsemane if he had a to told Peter, don't put away your sword, don't just cut off the ear, cut off the head and the feet. We're gonna fight up here. I'm not going
0: I'm not sure what you're saying, but i. Uh, but if you're saying what would have been the consequence if Jesus had fallen to temptation, well, then it would have been a, a disaster for us because he had to be perfect. Now, if you're saying would God have sinned, uh, that's kind of a, a difficult. It's a moot point because he didn't, and I don't really think he was in any danger of sinning. Uh, I believe that Jesus had no trouble resisting temptation, though I believe he was truly tempted. I don't think he was uh I don't think we were in danger of losing him uh, on the other hand, you know many of the things that you said about g c had a life cycle and so forth. it is true. we should be careful about saying Jesus is God without further explanation, although it may be true it's better to say it more biblically the The Bible would say that Jesus is God manifest in the flesh, or the Word became flesh, meaning human, so Jesus is a human. whom God manifested himself in. He became a man among us. Now, as a man, there were things about him that were different than than the Father, but that's because he became a man. Anyway, I appreciate your call. Um, Sorry we had to cut it short. You've been listening to The Narrow Path. We are listener-supported. You can write to us at The Narrow Path, P.O. Box 1730, Temecula, California, 92593 or from our website, thenarrowpath.com. Thanks for joining us.